pray unto us. Do not be afraid, neither give in to fear, especially concerning what the doomsayers are happening in the world today. Who cares about what the darkness is going on? Do you think that I'm afraid of it? I am not. I know the answer, and I've placed it within you. As you go and become the light that I have given to you, you as you take a step to faith, so I will begin to reveal myself to you, said God. I have placed you for enter into the earth for such a time as this. You cannot escape greatness, said God, for as long as you walk with me, as long as you follow me, I will cause the destiny that is implanted within you to blossom forth, that people might begin to see my wisdom shown through you. Do not be afraid, says God. Only trust, only believe, only obey, and your reward will be greater than you ever imagined it to be said. Praise be to God. Like I said, we are celebrating today the feast of our Lord, the giver of life. And before uh, before we uh, we come to the word of God, I'd like to read a, a letter of the patriarch to his churches. Uh, this is what it says here. Dear brothers and sisters, is there ever going to be an end to the Holocaust of abortion? Year after year, in the cold of winter, I have traveled to Washington, D.C. for the March of Life. It is a march to the Supreme Court where, in 1973, nine people unleashed the legalization of the murder of pre-born children in America. At that time, most thought terminating pregnancy was merely a matter of removing fetal tissue. We were told that Innovation was not human life, but that human life in formation. The dissuasion centered around when that life began, but ultimately the Supreme Court ruled that a woman has a constitutional right to choose to terminate her pregnancy. Now, with all the scientific evidence at our disposal, we know that human life begins at conception. However, the courts continue to support a woman's ability to choose not just the termination of pregnancy, but the ending of human life. We have elected pro-life representatives, senators, and even pro-life presidents. Yet abortion remains legal, and the politicians hide behind excuses for not passing legislation that would severely limit abortions or even end the funding of, of abortion providers. Is it hopeless? No, it is not hopeless, but it is generational. We have made progress in educating young people about the evils of abortion. We have raised up a generation of pro-life activists who work tirelessly to see the end of abortion and create a time when abortion will be unthinkable. The next generation will end abortion not only in America, but worldwide. The charismatic Episcopal Church is not just a church that is pro-life, it is a pro-life church. We are for life, that's what it means. Our roots and heritage are not only in convergence worship, 
But in the message that all life is sacred and that the family rests at the core of Christian spirituality. Over the years, CEC for Life has represented us at every major pro-life event, not just in America, but throughout the world. And the world has taken root. Father Terry Gensemer, director of CEC for Life, sits with almost every major or significant pro-life group in the global community. He has, over the last decade, raised up a generation in the CEC across the world that is pro-life. Soon the new generation will be in the leadership of CEC for Life. It is a generation raised up for the purpose of ending the Holocaust of abortion and proclaiming the life-giving message of the gospel. We need to continue our work and, in fact, strengthen and build our work. This year, the Feast of our Lord, the Giver of Life, falls on Sunday, January 21st. We will once again take an offering, as well as renew our memberships and the memberships of our churches in CEC for Life. There is information enclosed that will help us in meeting your obligation. Let us continue fervently in prayer. Let us also keep steadfast in the work of the Lord Jesus until his coming again. Signed, the Most Reverend Craig W. Bates, Patriarch of the ICCEC. Like I said before, we were, we were not just raised by God in order to worship him the way he desires to be worshipped. Once upon a time, we were the army of the Lord. We were charismatic and we were focused on the word. So that makes us a little, that makes us evangelical. But that's how, that was the limit of our worship. We came up with our own programs. We came up with our own formats. And uh, basically there was also the stamp of the personality of the person leading the worship concerning the worship of God. But then we came to the convergence movement. God was the one who brought us in. Okay? And God in the order of God. And we found out that the way to worship is to worship in, in a sacramental manner, which means we have a way of approaching God, listening to the word of God, and then partaking of the Lord's table. And so praise God, we are bringing the order of God into the worship of the church because number one, we just want to worship and focus on the Lord our God. Amen? We don't want to insist on our own. We want God's ways, not our ways. We want God's thoughts, not our thoughts. We want His purposes, not our own purposes. We want His principles, not just our own principles. Amen? That's what, the, that's what Jesus Christ said. He said, seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, if you're seeking first the kingdom of God, you must seek the king of that kingdom. And who is the king of the kingdom of God? Jesus. Okay? And if we seek Jesus, says to seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Okay? So righteousness is not just being righteous before God. We know we become righteous before God by having faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? We don't earn our righteousness. There is no work, there's no labor that we can engage in that when we do something for God, God becomes so impressed with us that he gives us his righteousness. No, righteousness cannot be earned. Salvation cannot be earned. 
if salvation and righteousness can be earned, then Jesus Christ did not have to come and become our Savior. Hello? But because of what Jesus Christ did for us, He fulfilled the requirements of the law. And then He says, if you will put your faith and trust in Me, then my victory will become your victory. I do the work, you enjoy the benefits of the work that I have done. I am a conqueror, you are more than conquerors. Amen? Basically, that's what he did for us. And when we put our faith and trust in him, he gave us the gift of righteousness. So we are righteous before God because we are covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen? But that means what is on the inside of us must be seen on the outside. That's why we need to listen to the teaching of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ came here and there was only one message that he had. His message was the very first sermon, the very first statement, the very first uh, uh, lesson that the Lord Jesus Christ gave after he received the baptism in the river Jordan was this. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it's near. It's touchable. It's not far. God is not at a distance watching us. Okay? God is here with us. The kingdom of God is tangible. And we don't have to wait to die before we can partake of the benefits of the kingdom. He's telling us it's at hand. And Jesus Christ taught us the prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy Kingdom come, thy will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. He wants the kingdom to come and invade the earth. Okay? Now, like I said, I've been saying this way back in 2010, that the prophecy of Isaiah is coming to pass. He says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. Behold, darkness will cover the people. Deep darkness will cover the people. But on you, my light has shined. In other words, when people begin to complain about the darkness, Jesus Christ is saying, don't worry. There is a force on the earth that is more than able to push back the darkness. And that force on the earth is the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We need to understand that church. We need to understand you are more powerful than you realize. The authority that you have, we've not even, we've not even used one, one tenth of the authority that God has given unto us. But that is about to change because God is about to flood uh, the earth uh, with the revelation of who he is and who we are in him. Okay? Uh, what God wants uh, our sons and daughters who have matured in the kingdom of God and say to, to God our Father, Father, I thank you for the many prayers you've answered in my life. I thank you for the many favors you've given unto me. I thank you for the many blessings that you've given me. But Father, I'm not just interested in getting what I need. I'm not just interested in getting the blessings that you've given me. Father, I'd like to stand together with you and be a partner with you in the fulfilling of the plans of the kingdom of God. Okay? Because God is establishing his kingdom right now. 
we can choose to be spectators or we can become participants. Amen? We can choose to just watch how the knife is being used. Or we can be at the cutting edge of the knife with what God is doing on the earth. I want us to be at the cutting edge. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, we want to become part of what God is doing in the earth today. And as we listen to the many teachings today, basically the Lord is showing us that the power of life that God has given us is infinitely more important and more powerful than the power of death. Okay? Now, we know that one day, death, according to the second reading, death will be done away with. This was God's original plan when he created Adam. When he created Adam, spirit, soul, and body, he designed Adam to live forever. Okay? But when Adam sinned, sinned and sin came into his being, it took about 900 years for sin and death to finally kill him. Okay? Sin and death was not able to kill Adam uh, before, before he reaches 100 years. The power of life is so strong that it took about 900 years for sin and death to finally kill him. Need to understand, God wants us to live forever. Spirit, soul, and body. Amen? Eventually that will happen. We know that people still die today, but we have miracles. We, from the Holy Scriptures, we have uh, the story of Lazarus. Lazarus died, right? But then Jesus Christ came four days later, and he called Lazarus, and Lazarus came back from the dead. We know the same miracles happen in the book of Acts. We've had some miracles happen among us also. Okay? I remember when we had the uh, Kunanans here and their mom died. Uh, the eldest sister went, you know, they were crying. Of course, that's what you do when your mom dies. Okay? The elder sister comes along and says, Mom, in the name of Jesus, come back! Wake up! And she woke up. Came back from the dead. And the mother complained, Why did you call me back? I was already going to Jesus. Why did you call me back? Okay? So she lived for another four or five years. But before she died again, and this was a story given to me. I don't know how true this is, but she called her kids and said, Okay, I want to make this clear. This time, when I die, don't call me back. You understand what I'm saying? So they let her go when she died. But what I'm saying is because, yeah, these are occasional stories. God wants this to become common. You understand what I'm saying? Okay? And I believe it's going to become common, especially with what's going on right now. 
there is a slow momentum of the kingdom of God breaking into our world. Okay? But in the meantime, while it gathers momentum, we want to become faithful in the things that the Lord has given us. And one of those things is to uphold the power of life. We heard uh, the letter of the patriarch, and you know, sometimes we have this attitude. That's the U.S. What's the U.S. got to do with us? So that's the problem. You need to understand something. Whatever they do there, sometimes we import here. You understand what I'm saying? And how many of us want to go to the U.S., right? How many of us have relatives in the U.S., right? And normally what happens there kind of influences us here. So yeah, we've got to care. During that particular time, uh, a woman uh, filed a case that made it legal for her to abort her child. And that case won. Now, you know, and, and you know, the, the woman who did that then has repented. Before she died, she repented and she said, I wish I knew then what I know today concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. I was young, I was ashamed, I just wanted some simple solutions, but now I've come to know the Lord, I wish I didn't do that, and I pray that that would be overturned. So there are victories along the way. But what we need to do right now is that we must care for the little ones. We must become their voice because they cannot speak for themselves. This is something that the Lord would like to do for each and every one of us. And as we go to our gospel today, Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 to 5, we will begin to see how valuable this thing is, especially a child to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, there are a few thoughts I'd like to share with you. The first thought is this. Childlike humility is greatness in the kingdom of God. I'm basing this on verse 1 to 4. And second thought, I'm basing this on verse 5. Childlikeness is valued by the Lord. Okay? Childlike humility is greatness in the kingdom of God. Verse 1 to 4. Then verse 5 is, childlikeness is valued by God. Let me just read some of the statements here. It's just a short gospel anyway. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The disciples, basically, when they started with the Lord, were just like us. They saw, they had the values that the world valued. And basically the world uh, values those who, have, who are rich. The world values those who are famous. The world values those who have influence. The world values those who are powerful, whether it's in, in name, in, in government, or in finances. Okay, and basically when they asked what does it, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, they were kind of interested because if anyone's going to be great, they want it to be great. The problem between the world's values and the kingdom of God's values is this. In the world, everything centers around self. Okay, 
we become self-centered. What's in it for me? Why do I even want to do that? How am I going to benefit from this thing? Okay? How will it help my career? How will it help my business? How will it help uh, my name? How will it help my promotion? Everything centers around self. Okay? Uh, when we do deals, I do this for you, but in exchange, you do this for me. Okay? But in the kingdom of God, things are centered around Christ. Okay? The world is self-centered. In the kingdom of God, it is Christ-centered. Just like Jesus Christ said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Now, they, they ask the question, who, is, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus answered that question by calling a little child to himself. And in the midst of them, he said, Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So they asked who was the greatest, he took a little child. Now, can you imagine how foolish that would look like? Put a little child in comparison to a wise king. Put a little child in comparison to someone who is a triumphant, victorious gladiator. Put a little child in comparison to a shrewd businessman who by many business deals have become rich in the world. Child would, become, would look foolish. But we need to understand heaven looks at things differently from the way we look at things. Okay? What was it about a little child that heaven values. See, Jesus Christ is not saying it's wrong to desire to be great. He didn't say you shouldn't even ask that question. That's a selfish question. Don't even ask who is the greatest, how to become great. No. He was answering your question. You want to be great? That's fine. But become great not the world's way. Become great according to the kingdom of God. In other words, what he's saying is value what God values. Desire what my father's desire what my father desires. Want what my what my God wants for you. Okay? So he's telling us, yeah, I want you to be great, but I don't want you just to be great in the eyes of men. I want you to be great in the eyes of heaven. Okay? And he pulls in a little child. And uh, what is it about a child? He says, unless you are converted and become as little children, you cannot enter the kingdom. So what's he telling us here? Is he telling us to be childish? No. He's telling us to be childlike. Okay? Childishness is being centered on your own wants and needs. I want, I want, I want. But to be childlike, that means you're teachable. You're dependent on someone. You trust easily. Have you ever seen children quarreling? How many of you have seen children quarreling? Some of them, you know, they get into fistfights, 
black eyes, bloody nose, bloody lip, right? They fight, they scream at each other, and after 30 minutes, they're playing with one another. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, little child, when they quarrel, they might cry a little bit, but they never come to the point where they said, I will never, ever talk to you again. No, they don't do that. Little children forgive quickly. I remember when I sent my daughter. Uh, it was her first year in school. My eldest. Uh, how old was she? Six. Uh, around six years old. And we, we told her, okay, you'll be going to school now, you'll be meeting some friends. And of course she was scared. Of course she was nervous. Because we told her, you have to be there, we'll bring you to school, and then when it's time to come back, we'll be there and get you back. You mean I'll be there all over? Yeah. And so she was scared. So we told her, don't worry, you can handle this. Why? Because you are big now. Okay? You are big now. You can do this. Okay? She believed us. She she was kind of scared, but because she believed that she, we said, you can handle it. Her feelings said, I don't think I could, but because daddy and mommy, they're telling me I can handle it, okay, I can handle it. Okay? And dad and mom tells me I'm big now. Okay, I'm big. So there was no problem during our first day of school. There was really no problem. She, she, she was learning things, uh, addition, uh, the differences between this and that, subtraction. And then there was a lesson about big and small. Okay? So the teacher said, you need to understand the difference between big and small. Okay? And, you know, they, she pointed to the big people in the class, the taller ones, the wider ones. And she picked some of the people some of the kids who were small, okay? And so she kept saying, big, small, big, small. Now, the teacher says, go to where you belong. So the small kids went to the small ones. The bigger kids went to the bigger ones. My daughter should go to the small ones. But no, she went to the big group. And all of these kids were taller than her. They were like giants when she was standing here. And so the teacher says, Mana, you should be on the other side. No, my parents told me I'm big. But look at the kids behind you. They're taller than you. They're bigger than you. You belong there. No. Dad and mom told me I'm big. You understand what I'm saying? She was saying, I don't care if what I'm seeing is true. My dad and my mom told me I'm big. So I don't care what the circumstances look like. I'm big. No, you have to stand there. Dad and mom said I'm big. No, okay, 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 stay there, stay there. Don't cry. And that's what the Lord wants. Okay? The Lord wants us to put more faith in what he has to say to us 
rather than what we see in the world. Isn't that what the scriptures say? We walk by faith and not by sight. And it takes childlike faith to trust in God, especially when we're looking at things going all wrong. We tend to think, well, it seems like God has abandoned us. No. Everything is not what it appears to be. Okay? And it seems like in a world where the spirit of death is trying to take over, especially in the life of little kids. Okay? See, Jesus Christ values them because of their childlikeness. He says, unless you're converted like that, unless you begin to think like that, be like a child. Not childish, not immature, but childlike. That means trusting God. That means you're dependent on God. That means you are as forgiving as God is forgiving. Okay? These are qualities that are seen in the little child. And then he says here, we're going to uh, the second thought. Are you learning something from this? Okay, childlikeness is valued by the Lord. Verse 4 to 5, he says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But he just told them. I'm not telling you not to want to be great, but to be great the way my father wants you to be great. You want to be great? Become like this little child. Be a trusting person. Trust the Father. Okay? Be dependent on the Father. Be teachable. Allow the Father to teach you. Even if what He's teaching you goes against what you see and what you hear. Okay? Forgive easily as the Father forgives you. That He says in verse 5, Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Thank God. He identifies with his little children. Okay? Now, in Psalms 127, verse 3, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the world is a reward. Another translation says, the Amplified says, Behold, children are a heritage and a gift from the Lord. Children are a heritage and a gift from the Lord. In other words, when, when we receive children in our lives, it feels like a blessing in our lives, right? Yeah, there will be sleepless nights. Yeah, there will be times it won't be so quiet. Yeah, there will be times that you have to uh, scramble to get the needs met. But all in all, they're a blessing from the Lord. And normally we associate that with uh, family life. Okay? If I get married and I get children, then I'm blessed. Some people adopt because they, they, they feel uh, incomplete without kids. And when they do, they, they have the feeling of uh, assurance, the feeling of joy, the feeling of uh, completeness. And yeah, they can say, yeah, they're, they're, they're a gift from the Lord. But I wonder if we're really seeing the completeness of this because I agree with that view. If you're the family with the kids, yeah, they're a gift from the Lord. But when we look at Psalms 139, somewhere in verse 16, it says, Your eyes saw my substance being given form, 
And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Take note what he says. The days were fashioned for me, even before I was born, before I even lived on the very first day of my life. What that says to us is this. Every child who is born, God has already fashioned his days. Okay? And what God wants is for that child to live out the days that have been fashioned for him. Because that child was not just meant to bless mommy and daddy. That child was meant to bless the world. Okay? When the nation of Israel were in captivity, and they were crying out to God, God, save us, redeem us. What did God do? He caused Moses to be born. Couldn't he have worked with someone who was already an adult? I'm sure he could. But this was God's plan. The redeemer, the, the, the redeemer of Israel at that time, Moses, was born as a child. Okay? He didn't choose someone who was already an adult. He chose to bring forth their redeemer, okay, in the old covenant context, as a child. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, he was for a while influenced by Egypt. But then the thoughts came in. Eventually, he found his divine destiny by becoming the one who led them out of Egypt. Once there was a woman, her name was Hannah. And she couldn't have a child. Her sister was talking her. We have kids, you don't even have one. So he goes to the temple of the Lord and he cries to the Lord, have mercy on me. And suddenly, God opened her womb and she gave birth to a baby. She named that kid Samuel. He grew up to become a prophet that influenced the life of David. You understand what I'm saying? The world needed a savior. So God put a plan in motion. He chose a virgin who was devoted to him and sent the angel Gabriel and said to her, you will bear my son. He will deliver the people from their sin. But before the Savior was born, Gabriel went first to Zechariah and Elizabeth. The forerunner had to be born first, John the Baptist. Couldn't God work with someone who was already born? Of course he could. Okay? Why did he talk to Simeon and to Anna who were in the temple? He could have, but this is the plan of God. Every time he wanted to do something, he caused a child to be born. Jesus was born. He was subject to death. Especially when King Herod became uh, paranoid and wanted him killed. Okay? But then he grew up and then he fulfilled his divine destiny 
which is to die for our sins. So that he, son of God, became the son of man. He died for us and lived for us. Why? So that we who are sons of men can become sons of God. So he said here, children are a gift of the Lord. Yes, they are. But are they only gifts to mommy and daddy? I'm sure they are. But God intends for them to release their gifts also to the world. With the abortions that have been performed in the world today, how many St. Pauls have we killed? Could it be that God was sending someone who had the cure for cancer, the solution for Alzheimer's, but they were killed in the womb? Satan hates the kids. He's the one behind the things. Okay? And if we do not stand up for them, we will allow them to win by default. We need to show up for the game. It's not a game. It's warfare. And that's why we're doing this. God valued, gave value to our lives that he sent his only beloved son to die for us. You understand what I'm saying? Okay? So we need to understand this. Uh, according to tradition, uh, the child that Jesus used, you know, he put, he put someone on his lap. That's a story here. He took a child and sat him on his lap. According to tradition, it's not in the scripture. According to the tradition, this was uh, the child who later became Saint Ignatius of Antioch. Okay? He became a great servant of the church, a writer and a martyr for Christ. He, he later was surnamed Theophilus, God carried or carried by God because Jesus carried him on his knee. So we not only want to get them born into the world, but we want them to have a good atmosphere to live in. Because if Satan cannot prevent them from getting born, he will try to steal their identity so that they will not live according to the destiny that God gave them. Uh, in the 1980s, I was fascinated by a book uh, by a person, his name was Robert Smyrden, and another one was Dr. G. Basically, I, they had the same experience, they died and they went to heaven. And they were the only ones I could find during that time. Recently, it seems that there are many people who are having the same kind of experiences, and they're not shy in printing those experiences. Some said, I've kept this experience for seven years, or ten years, but God released me to, to tell the story right now. And one of them, uh, God said, I want you to see something, you know. He wanted that person to teach in prison. So in the spirit, God, according to her, God brought her to the prison and he says, what do you see? And she said, I see hardened criminals, serial killers, gangsters. And God said, that's what you're seeing. You know what I'm seeing? Some of these men were my champions. I brought them into the world that they might become champions for the kingdom of God. 
But the enemy worked on their surroundings, on their parents, and things like that. They grew up in an environment of violence. They grew up in an environment of dishonesty. They grew up in a world where there was no light except shadows and darkness. Satan stole their identity from them. And she said, and he said to this person, would you go there, teach them, set them free, so they can become the champions I designed them to be. You understand what I'm saying? That's why Satan wants to mess up a child's life. If you can't kill it, you can't kill the child and try to mess up the life. Why? So that they will not fulfill their destiny for the world. God gave children as gifts. Not just to mom and dad, but to the world. You have gifts that need to be released. You have an anointing that needs to be unleashed. You have a role that needs to be played so that the will, the, the fulfillment of God's kingdom will be seen in the world. Amen? That's why we stand for life. It's so valuable. We stand for it. We partner with God in pushing back the darkness. Amen? Have a few words after you. Let's go.